Thank you, everybody. Let's open up our Bibles. We are continuing our study today through the book of Daniel. We've been studying through this book at this time because I believe that this book has much to say to us prophetically uh, in the nation at this time. I think there's so much that we can draw from the book of Daniel. So we're going through this book sequentially, chapter by chapter, and today we are at Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, if you want to open up your Bibles there, and we'll begin. I'm reading from the NASB. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them there were three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one. And these satraps might be accountable to them, that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps, because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. And these men said, we won't find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document, so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God, as he had been doing previously. These men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. And they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statute is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. And they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed. But he keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed, and he set his mind on delivering Daniel until... Even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. <coughs> Excuse me. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, 
that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, your God who you constantly serve will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting and no entertainment was brought before him and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose at dawn, the break of day, and went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near to the den, to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, who you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king. I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel. They cast them and their children and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations and men of every language who were living in all the land. May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Thanks be to God for his word. Amen. This chapter, chapter 6, divides really nicely into seven parts. And I've given seven P's, which I'll put out in the notes. The seven P's that this chapter divides into nicely are, firstly, verses 1 to 3, promotion begins with promotion. The second P is plot. There's a plot against Daniel. The third P is practice. Daniel's practice. Fourthly, we've got the preservation of Daniel from the lions. Fifthly, we've got the punishment of those who plotted against Daniel. And then sixthly and finally, we've got, again, praise and prosperity of Daniel after he's delivered from the lion's den. You might have noticed that this chapter is almost a mirror image of chapter three and the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and the fiery furnace. And that's no accident, except this time we've got Daniel as the main character of the narrative and not the three friends. Now before we dive in properly to the text today, which I think you'll find is going to be really encouraging and equipping for this time we're living in. 
I do want to touch briefly on a bit of a historical issue uh, because it's, it's something that's important, I think. And this issue is the identity of the man called Darius the Mede. Darius the Mede. You remember in chapter 5, when we finished up reading that, it says that the kingdom was given to a man named Darius the Mede. It was taken from Belshazzar, who was the king of Babylon, a Babylonian king, and given to Darius, who is a Mede, who represents the Medo-Persian Empire. So what we've seen between chapters 5 and 6 is actually the fall of Babylon. That's what we witnessed here, the fall of Babylon, a historic event. However, this man Darius the Mede isn't actually mentioned anywhere outside of the Bible. And that's unusual because the Bible does concur with history. It concurs with historical sources on many different points. But Darius the Mede is a name we only find in the Bible. It's not listed anywhere else. And that has led some scholars and critics to say that this Darius the Mede is a fictional character. And therefore, they'll say, that shows us that the Bible is inaccurate historically. However, it should be noted that the same was said by scholars about King David. And the same was said by scholars and critics about Pontius Pilate. Did you know that? Only last century, uh, critical historians and scholars were saying King David was a fictional character. Because they couldn't find mention of him outside of the Bible. They said the same about Pontius Pilate. Until late last century, two stone tablets were found in the ancient Near East bearing the name of King David up in Tel Dan. And then another tablet was found in Jerusalem bearing the name of Pontius Pilate, the procurator of Jerusalem. So now these are both historically verified characters. So you shouldn't worry us too much that critics come out and say these sorts of things. They've said them before and they'll say them again. However, there are a number of theories about who this man Darius the Mede was, which I'll run through quickly. Firstly, some believe that Darius the Mede is just another name for King Cyrus. It's just a throne name for King Cyrus. That's one working theory about who this man is. Secondly, the second theory is that this man, Darius the Mede, is actually a man called Gobaru. Gobaru, who, is a, uh, who was actually the leader of the armies of Cyrus. And we find writings about Gobaru in the Nabonidus Chronicle and also in uh, Xenophon, who is a historian. We find him in Xenophon. And so some say Darius the Mede is actually Gobaru, he's a general who took Babylon and Cyrus actually let this guy, Gobaru, sort of rule in his stead for a while. And then there's a third theory which is new, which has been brought up by a guy called Stephen Anderson, who's a biblical professor. And what he says is that Darius the Mede, people knew the identity, at least in the church, they knew the identity of Darius the Mede up until quite recently. You see, Jerome, who's one of the church fathers, and many other Christian writers, right up until the 18th century, said that this guy, Darius the Mede, was actually Syacheres II, or Syaxeres II, thank you. <clears throat> and um, this guy was a, a Mede, he was a Mede, he was a, a king, he was actually the father-in-law of Cyrus. Cyrus was married to Syacheres' his, his daughter. So each theory 
um, has its challenges. But for me, I think the best explanation that I'm aware of at the moment is that this Darius the Mede is actually Sayacharya's too. This goes to me. Because for me, the issue is um, people who say that this is also Cyrus. Well, Cyrus is a Persian, he's not a Mede, and the two are different. So you can't have Darius the Mede actually being a Persian. Uh, he has to be a Mede. So therefore, I think the best working theory historically at the moment is that this is a guy called Sayacharya's the second. So let's move on from our little study of, of history. And let's dive into the first P, which is promotion. We read in the first three verses of this passage that Daniel prospers. He is promoted within the kingdom of the Medes and Persians, the same as he had been in the kingdom of the Babylonians. I want for you to see, between chapters 5 and 6, we have the fall of the first great empire mentioned in the book of Daniel. Do you remember the statue that we studied with the gold head, the silver breast and arms, the bronze belly and thighs and the iron legs? Well, we've now seen the head topple. Babylon has gone and the Medo-Persian Empire has come in. I want to say to you, church, this, this afternoon, and I want for you to understand this clearly, kingdoms, governments, regimes will always come and go. Kingdoms will pass. Hallelujah. But God's purposes are always established. Always established. God is sovereign over the nations. I want you to see this. That the Babylonian Empire that we've just seen fall was one of the greatest kingdoms of the ancient world. If not the greatest city in the ancient world. It was famous, wasn't it, for its hanging gardens, one of the wonders of the world. And the city was considered nigh on impregnable, like almost impossible to conquer. Its walls were apparently 75 feet thick and 300 feet high. Imagine that. They used to apparently have chariot races along the top of the walls. They were that broad. And Nebuchadnezzar had expanded the empire of Babylon. So it covered nearly the whole ancient Near East. From right down by the mouth of the Euphrates, up into Turkey, down towards Egypt, and right far over towards Iran, modern day Iran. So it was a huge empire. But in one day, it fell. It had taken a hundred years to build, nearly, and in one day, that empire was gone, destroyed, fallen. And I want for us to see that down through the ages, this has happened time and time again. We have seen very powerful empires and civilizations come and go. If you've ever been to the Museum of Natural History, you'll see this. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Ottoman Empire, the Mongols, the Third Reich under Nazi Germany, the Soviet Union, these huge machines of government that have come and gone. And I want to say to you today that there will be a day when the West will no longer be the dominant force on the world stage. 
There will come a day when this civilization passes too. And I think that many of us who've lived in the West, who've grown up comfortably in these times, find that hard to stomach or find that hard to believe, but it will pass. The Bible tells us that it will pass. And I think it's important for us to learn this lesson from Daniel that we, we can't place our trust and our hope, certainly not our comfort, in Western civilization or any government or kingdom of man because ultimately all of those kingdoms will pass away. The statue of Daniel 2 teaches us that, doesn't it? That the rock that strikes the statue grows into a mountain. There's only one kingdom that will endure forever. Amen, and that's the kingdom of God. But I find so many Christians today, they place their trust in man-made government and man-made authority and not the kingdom of God. You need to learn this at this time. This too shall pass. And I think we're already starting to see the Western civilization shake and crumble. And I want for us as a church to be prepared for whatever's coming in the future. And as we look at the chapter... I want you to also see that although there's so much change in Daniel's time, in, in the government that he worked in, you know, his, his king that he served was murdered in one night, and the next day he had a new king to serve. So much change. But I want you to see that this chapter begins and ends with Daniel prospering. Did you catch that? He, he grows in prosperity under every king that he serves. And there's four kings that he serves. Two Babylonian kings. Two Medo-Persian kings. And, and he is blessed under every single regime. He, he prospers and is used of God. I think it's important to know that God's purposes through you will always come to pass. No matter what happens in the world around us. We can't choose what happens to these powers that be. But we can serve God in the midst of it. Amen. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, in the New Living Translation says this. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings. He sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. Hallelujah. It can be scary to watch things change. I don't know how Daniel was feeling when all this happened. We don't get to know the inner workings of his mind. But if I was Daniel, I would have found that hard to process. That would have been a lot for me to process. And I find right now there's a lot for us to process, isn't there? In all that's going on, there's so much unknown stuff happening, things we can worry about. But what we learn in Daniel is not to fear. Not to fear. God is in control, even when things look chaotic. I see right now, like I've said, there's so much tumult, there's so much change in the nations. And, and like I say, the world that I grew up in, and the world that many of you grew up in, it feels like it's changing. It feels like things are changing. I don't know if you've noticed that. But as I've said, we, we know that God is in charge. He's bringing about his purposes and they're good. And they are good. Even though things seem difficult. I know that me and many others have just wanted things desperately to go back to normal, haven't we? We've said that so many times. I just want things to get back to normal. I want to go back to December 2019. Before all of this kicked off, you know, I just want things to go back to normal. But when we just look at that grand scheme of history that I've just mentioned, you know, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, what is normal? 
When we look at the great scheme of history, what is normal? You know? I think our comfort has to be rooted ultimately in the Lord and in his word. Because that's not going to change. That's not going to pass away. We're told also that Daniel distinguished himself amongst Darius's leaders. We're told that he excelled. Why was that? Well, the Bible says it was because there was an excellent spirit found in him. An excellent spirit was found in him. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit. It's not actually talking about the Holy Spirit, but rather a kind of extraordinary quality to Daniel, the man. Now, the word there is, is actually not a Hebrew word. Uh, the word is actually Aramaic, and it's, it's yatir, yatir. And it means to be beyond what's ordinary or usual. Highly unusual, exceptional, remarkable. Daniel at this time was actually in his mid to late 70s. It wasn't a spring chicken. He'd seen things come and go. What I find amazing is that this man still was giving his all. He was still putting everything he had into serving God by serving the king that was in front of him. No matter what colours the king carried, no matter whether he was Babylonian, or Mede, or Persian, Daniel brought his A game and he served God with what was in front of him right now. And he did his best in his mid and late 70s. Isn't that incredible? It's an encouragement to us all never to stop, never to give up, never to think that our time to serve God has come to an end or been put out to pasture. No, if Daniel can still be serving God in his late 70s, with zeal and excellence, then that's hope for all of us, that we aren't going to get put out to pasture until we go to glory, and we will be with him again, you know? Um, I think, as well, what's important is that Daniel doesn't take the hump, does he? When he goes through difficult things, he's gone through so much. You know, he's come to a, a strange land of Babylon. He's been um, really put under the microscope and challenged him. Again, we see it here, he never complains. He never complains. I think in life so often, we can spend our lives kind of looking at what other people are doing, looking at what God's got other people doing, and ignoring what's right in front of us. Isn't that right? I remember hearing somebody say once, you know, just build what's in front of you. Build the wall in front of you. Forget about what that person over there is doing, and crack on with whatever God's put right in front of you right now and do it with an excellent spirit. I think that's a good word for us as a church today. Not to look elsewhere, not to get jealous of what somebody else is up to, but simply to look at what is right in front of you right now and just give your all to it. Just give everything you've got to steward it what's in front of you, to honouring God and glorifying God with what he's given you to do, not someone else, not wishing you were somebody else or got something else to do, but just doing a Daniel, faithfully stewarding what God's put in front of you right now. Now, Daniel's doing this, he's excelling, he's doing well, and we even hear that the, the king wants to elevate him right above every other governor in the land of Babylon at the time. And this is where we hear that there begins to be a plot against Daniel. He, he, he has this group of kind of uh, rebel leaders that, that gang up and want to get him in trouble with the king. 
And what's cool is that they try to dig up dirt on Daniel. They go around and they try to find something on him, don't they? They try to find a skeleton in his closet. They try to dig up some dirt on Daniel, who's, like I've said, in his mid to late 70s. He's lived in Babylon most of his life. And you know what? They can't find a thing. They can't find a speck of dirt on this man, Daniel. Isn't that incredible? That word there, you might have it, it says because he was faithful in the ESV. Because he was faithful. They couldn't find anything on him. That word, faithful, essentially means trustworthy. He had integrity. Brothers and sisters, at this time, there's nothing that I prize more highly than holiness and integrity in my life. I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody that's found to have integrity. I want to be a person who doesn't just talk the talk, but walks the walk. We've seen the damaging effects of what happens when people are not integrous, haven't we? Just in the last few months, the parties at Downing Street and what have you. God bless those people. I want for us to keep them in prayer. But we've seen how much that damaged what they were trying to then say. It had, it had less power, didn't it? Because we saw what you were doing last Christmas when we were staying away from family. Doesn't make what they were saying wrong, but it certainly made it hard to trust them. And so we see the power of living a singular life, just like Daniel, with an excellent spirit. They couldn't find any dirt on him at all. And brothers and sisters, I want for us to be like that. It's, it's, it's one thing for your friends to call you faithful. It's one thing for those who love you to say, that's an, that's an integrous person. That's a trustworthy person. It's entirely a different thing for your enemies to say, that's a good person. That's an integrous person. I don't like them, but I've got to respect them. That, I'm telling you right now, is a quality that we must occupy as a church. Notice Daniel doesn't go proclaiming his own faithfulness. He doesn't go around telling everyone how trustworthy he is. He lets his enemies do it for him. I think there's such an incredible quality there for us as a church to grasp onto. These men say that there's only one way to catch Daniel out, and that's in his obedience to God. He's so rigorously obedient to his God that if we can make it illegal for him to serve as God, we can get him. We can snare him. If we can find a way to trap him in his obedience to God. So they go to the king and they, they get this petition set up. They actually lie to him, don't they? They say, king, all of the governors, all the officials, all the satraps, we all say, you've got to make this degree, the decree. You've got to tell everyone they're not to pray to any god but you for 30 days. Guess what? That's a lie. They lied to him. Daniel didn't agree to it. He was one of the three highest ruling officials. Isn't that interesting? I, I want to say something quickly. By way of that, always be wary of people who try to win you over to their point of view, but they're reckless with the facts. You ever had that before? Somebody try to win you over to their point of view, but they're reckless with the facts. They don't care about the true facts. What they care about is getting you to agree with them. Be wary of people that do that, brothers and sisters, and don't catch yourself doing that. Always be careful with the facts, okay? I don't think 
This is something that doesn't still happen. This still happens. This still goes on. Sadly, in the corridors of power, and sadly, even within the church, people will try and build a bandwagon, right? They'll try and get an ideological bandwagon together. Everyone's got to jump on board. Everyone's got to agree with me. And when that happens, you can sniff it out. You can tell when it's dodgy. Because logic and reason and facts go out the window and it becomes all about emotion. Well, if you don't agree with me, you're just a bad person. You're just a bad person. You're a horrible person if you don't agree with me. That's manipulation. Always be wary of people that deal like that and are reckless with facts. Okay? The king, unfortunately, is hoodwinked. He's, he's won over and he signs the decree. Now, we read that Daniel actually knew about what had happened. He knew about the document. He knew about the decree. He knew it had been signed. So he's aware that there's a law that's been passed now. It's a law, a binding law upon the whole of Babylon that no one's allowed to pray to any god but this man Darius. He knows that, okay? To pray to God now was illegal for Daniel for the next 30 days. So I want you to catch this. What does Daniel do? What does he do? How does he then perform in light of the fact that it's now against the law for him to pray to God. He, he could have held off praying for 30 days. You know, it, it wouldn't, maybe it wouldn't harm his relationship with God. God. God's patient. God would understand had he done that, I'm sure. Does he decide maybe to change his prayer habits, you know, to, to not open his window when he's praying? Maybe to pray in his head instead of out loud or not to kneel. Does he actually get angry and, and flout the law and say, well, you know, blow this, I'm going out in the streets and I'm going to pray loudly and I'm going to get everybody round to my point of view and I'm going to tell everyone this, this decree is wicked and we should protest? No. Daniel doesn't change a thing. He doesn't change a thing. He does as he has always done. He goes into his room, his private chambers, he opens up the windows facing Jerusalem, he kneels, and he gives thanks to God. He gives thanks to God. Now, in doing this, I think Daniel knew that to do anything else, to change his habits, or to stop them, it would have been seen as compromise. And Daniel knew his obedience to God mattered more in this instance than his obedience to this law. Now the men hide out, and obviously they were looking to catch him out, weren't they? And they catch him. They catch him praying. They report it to the king. And I want you to see something here that's really actually quite interesting, is that Daniel, we miss this sometimes, Daniel broke the law. Daniel broke the law. He knowingly, willfully, broke the king's law and at the same time he was simultaneously obedient to God did you catch that he broke the law of the land but he was obedient to God that's an interesting and unusual thing it's actually very peculiar it doesn't happen all too often but there are one or two times in the Bible where we find something like that happening so we read in uh, Exodus of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, says to the Hebrew midwives, doesn't he? Um, 
when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, and you see them on the birthstool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. You shall kill him. What do the Hebrew uh, midwives do? They feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? Why have you let the children live? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, because Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they're vigorous and they give birth before the midwife even comes. So they told a little fib. They told a fib. And um, it actually says that God dealt well with the midwives. He dealt well with the midwives. The people multiplied and grew. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. It's quite unusual, isn't it? Um, we've got another instance in the New Testament. Again, slightly different, but uh, where the chief priests, the rulers, and the elders of Jer- Jerusalem, they, they command the apostles, don't they, in Acts 4, don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Do what you want, go about your business, but don't preach in the name of Jesus. And so it says, doesn't it, Acts 4, 18, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Now I want you also, Christians, to balance this with Romans 13. You know Romans 13? Let me read it to you. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Amen? Do we believe that? There is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. For those who resist will incur judgment. Wow. Well, those two seem like polar opposites, don't they? On one hand, you must not resist authorities, you must obey them. On the other hand, we've got God actually blessing and praising people who broke the law. Well, this is interesting. I think we need to have a nuanced approach to these verses to understand them properly. Are we supposed to submit to governing authorities? Yes. Should we resist authority? No. I want us to be very clear on that. God has instituted those authorities. However, does that then therefore mean that a Christian should always obey and never question whatever the governing authorities decree or demand? Well, clearly, based on this story of Daniel, the Hebrew midwives and the apostles, there are certain exceptions. There are certain exceptions to that. Namely, let me explain it for you because it's important that we do If the governing authorities govern in such a way as to directly prevent the worship of God or the preaching of the gospel or pass laws which force Christians to do things which go against the pattern of holy living laid out in scripture, then there are certain exceptions the Bible teaches. I want you to remember, brothers and sisters, that... In the German state at the time of the Second World War, it was those who hid the Jews who were the criminal outlaws. And it was those who exposed them, hunted them down, and sent them to the death camps that were the upstanding citizens. I want for you to just see that to help explain it to you. You've got to remember that, yes, we're to be subject to governing authorities, but ultimately our obedience is to whom? It's to God. It's owed to God. And so 
every human governmental system is appointed by God, but ultimately we're accountable to him. And all those governments will be accountable to him. I hope that's helped clear it up a little bit, but I thought that was interesting. Let me just finish up and wrap this up. So Daniel's reported he's broken the law. The king does everything that he can to save him, but can't find a way to get Daniel off the hook. And he's cast into the lion's den. Now, you might have seen pictures of lion's dens before with like two or three lions in it. No, there would have been much more than that. Probably looking at at least 10 lions in this pit. They've actually found one in Morocco. Um, Big pit with a kind of great roof and then a a side entrance on it. Um, Daniel's cast into this den uh, overnight. The king stays up all night worrying. and In the morning he comes out, calls out, and he finds Daniel alive. He finds Daniel alive. Now, what I think about for us to take away from Daniel going into the lion's den are these few things, okay? Um, The preservation of Daniel in the den I want you to notice this. We don't hear anything about Daniel complaining, do we? Nor do we hear anything about Daniel, you know, praying, he's like, God, the Lord will deliver me. The king says to him, God will deliver you, but we don't hear anything from Daniel. He just silently goes in there. He doesn't say anything. Daniel goes into the lion's den and he's willing to accept whatever happens to him. I'll tell you what, that challenges me. Sometimes when I walk into trials and tribulations, I am not willing in my heart to accept whatever happens to me. Do you start bargaining with God like that in those situations when you're facing a challenge, a trial, and you say, Lord, it better not end up like this or else. Lord, you can't let this happen because I'm just not prepared, I'm not equipped. In my heart, those conversations happen so often. Maybe it's just me, maybe I'm just not a very good Christian, but this is real. Daniel goes into the lion's den and he's prepared to accept even if the lions gobble him up. He's ready to accept it. Now maybe he's so calm because he knew God would deliver him. He knew he was innocent. He had faith that God would deliver him. Maybe that's true. But brothers and sisters, many faithful Christians have been gobbled up by lions over the centuries. Did you know that? Fed to wild beasts in the Colosseum. Strung up as lights in Nero's garden and burnt. Faithful Christians. The point is, Daniel knew whatever happened in that lion's den, he couldn't lose. Whatever happened, he couldn't lose. If they ate him, he'd go to be with God. Okay? If God delivered him, he would be a wonderful witness and testimony to the king of God's power. Amen? Whenever you face a trial or tribulation, I want you to have that in mind. You can't lose. You can't lose. If that thing takes you, you'll go to glory. You'll be with God for eternity. If it doesn't, it will be a testimony. Every trial and tribulation or problem that you face has the ability to become a testimony. It has the ability to glorify God. The key is in how we face it. And, and we're always God is always giving us chances to prove ourselves in trials and tribulations, isn't he? I don't know about you, but he's testing us. He's testing us. He's very gracious and kind because he never, he never gives us more than we can handle in that sense, right? To tempt us. But by gun, he tests us. He allows us to go through things to see how we'll process trials and tribulations. And Daniel comes out with grade A. I also want for us to see as we finish the picture of Jesus here. 
There's a wonderful picture of Jesus in the, in the den of lions. Romans 6 tells us, doesn't it, that the wages of sin are what? Death. The wages of sin are death. How many of you sin? <laughs> There's no liars in here. That's wonderful. So what's your wages? What have you earned for yourself? Death. All who sin shall die. So what's the flip reverse of that? If all who sin shall die, where do we find life? We find life where there's no sin. Wherever there's no sin, there's life. Wherever there's sin, there's death. Okay? So where there's sin, there's death. Where there's no sin, there's no death. Just as innocence saved Daniel from the lions, so it's Jesus' complete, perfect righteousness that saves you from death. There is no escape from death outside of Christ. I want you to see that. God is not going to pardon anybody on Judgment Day for being a nice person. Okay? All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Nobody's going to heaven with tokens in their back pocket. Oh, but God, look what I did. There we go. No. There's only one who's good. And it's only in Christ that we escape the penalty that's coming to us for sin. I want you to know that. I want you to place your trust in Jesus now. If you haven't before, don't leave the room without getting right with God and through Christ. We don't know the day that our lives will be required of us. And for some, just like Daniel, that day will come quickly. The day when you face the lions might come swift, sooner than you expected. And I want to say very soberly, people enjoy living in sin. But you don't want to die in sin. <laughs> you don't want to die in sin. So let's put our trust in Christ, the ultimate Daniel. Now, finally, I just want to leave you with this. As, as Daniel's delivered from the den, what happens? He, he puts all these people into the den. They're gobbled up before they hit the ground. I mean, that tells you something, doesn't it, about how many lions there were in there. Very severe punishment for sin. There's some critics that like to say that the lions weren't unreal, they're toothless or they're mangy. Well, we know from that that they weren't. What comes out of Daniel's trial is a testimony. What comes out of Daniel breaking the law and being thrown to the lions is a wonderful witness to the glory and power of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know, unless you are willing to go through trials, we're robbing the Lord of an opportunity to work a mighty miracle in our lives. Unless we're willing to face up to the lion's dens in our lives, we might miss opportunities to glorify God in our suffering. And I want for us, brothers and sisters, at this time, when there's so much change, there's so much going on, I want for us to have hope. I want for us to see that there is a greater kingdom than the one that we serve now. We are very blessed to live in the country that we do. But you know what? There's a greater kingdom that we serve. And that kingdom shall endure forever. No matter what comes, no matter what lion's dens you might face, no matter what challenges we might face as a church, I want for us to always, always be aware that God's purposes in your life will endure. They will come to pass. I know it. I know it because I've read it in Daniel. I know because I've read it in the New Testament, the Old Testament, right through cover to cover. I see one thing. God is sovereign and his purposes shall never fail. His word shall never return to him void, even about your life. Even my tiny little insignificant part that I get to play, 
God thought of it, God will establish it. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want for us to stand. You know, as we preach through this book, and as a church, as we gather as Hope City Church every week, I'll be, be honest with you, I've never sensed spiritual opposition quite like it. I'll be very real with you. I've never sensed spiritual opposition to what God is doing here before. You know? But when we preach through these books and we're preparing ourselves, I want, I want you to know that when we come in here, the word is it's not just because we're Christians, it's what we do. God is actually equipping you. He's suiting you up and readying you for what's to come. I don't know what's going to happen in 2022. <laughs> but by doing this book, I'm prophetically preparing you for whatever shall come to pass. Amen? Amen. And I want for you to be aware this world is not neutral. It's not neutral to God. The devil doesn't like this happening. He doesn't like you coming to church. He doesn't like us reading the word together. And he's doing all that he can to stop it. And I know many of you have faced spiritual opposition yourselves this year. And so I want for us to stand right now. And I want for us to be bold and say that this year, whatever happens, we're going to be faithful to God. Just like Daniel was. Whatever pressure we might come under to stop worshipping God, we're going to be faithful. Whatever the cost. Because this story here is about faithfulness, isn't it? It's about obedience to God in the face of jeopardy. And I want to say, I want to walk like Daniel in 2022. Mm. I am weak. I'm not strong. I get frightened. I get nervous. I don't like facing fiery trials. I don't know about you. Maybe you're braver than I am. But I get worried. But I tell you what. I know that God is with me. I know that God is with me. And if you would like in 2022 to say that you want to walk like Daniel, I would love for you right now to just close your eyes and we will pray. We will pray that the Lord will furnish us with strength to walk like Daniel in this year, whatever comes our way. Oh Father, we thank you that you are sovereign and king over all kings, over every nation, over every government. We thank you that we have been called to live our lives in these times. And God, we want to stop cursing the times. We want to stop saying, Lord, I wish it wasn't like this. It is like this. And you've been chosen for a time such as this, to live your life now, to glorify God in 2022. So God, we don't want to curse the year. We don't want to curse what you've given us, an opportunity to glorify you in these times. And so God, I pray right now, by your Holy Spirit, you come and begin to fill every person in the room. Fill them up, Lord God. I know that some of you have felt dry. I know some of you have really been hungering for a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit. So I pray, come Holy Spirit right now. Come and fill every vessel in this place right now to overflowing. And I pray as you do, Lord, there'll be a boldness and a confidence that comes. A fresh confidence, a fresh bravery that comes into our hearts. To live just like your servant Daniel did. 
to know our God is able and he's with us in the den of lions. He's with us in the fiery furnace. And I pray that each and every one of you would be prepared like a soldier, fully girded up, fully armoured, to walk out of this place today and be defended and protected against the fiery darts of the enemy, equipped with the sword of spirit to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. I pray this in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise God. We're going to sing a, a song. So if you want to remain standing for a moment. If you'd like prayer for anything at all, um, I'd love to pray for you. We're going to be over here. And if I could have someone from leadership, a lady as well. We would love to pray for you if you'd like that. Otherwise, let's worship God together now before we close.